founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. All right, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Preston Brown, owner at Zia Homes. Preston is a speaker, entrepreneur, and multiple eight-figure business owner, specializing in disruptive innovation and profitably scaling companies. He is a serial entrepreneur who started his first company in college and soon had a revelation, dropped out of college, and since then has been busy creating one profitable company after another. Preston has 18 successful automated operating businesses with gross revenues of over $180 million. He is an expert in finance, business, and psychology, and has advised hundreds of CEOs and entrepreneurs on how to grow, scale, and optimize their companies. Here to share all that experience and knowledge is Preston. Preston, thank you for being here, my friend. Drew, such a privilege. I'm excited to talk. I am as well. I, I, I told you this before we, we got on here, but I had the privilege of actually knowing about you before we even connected from your TikTok, uh, and I just really enjoy that. You guys need to go check him out, Preston Brown on TikTok got some great content on there but um to start here my friend i want to go back to something we mentioned in the intro which is starting your first company in college soon after dropping out did we get that right and take me to that time what was going on with you sure so college is uh probably not the main origin story of why i do what i do but it's 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 the second most important i, I had this revelation that all of these guys that were teaching me business while i was in business school all had jobs mm. and and i had a friend that said job stands for just over broke and you know, he says, your paycheck is the amount of money that you took to completely settle on your fucking dreams. And I was like, holy shit. So you mean earning money is slavery. I'm going to be a slave. Like slavery has not ended. It's just changed. It's no longer your skin color. Now it has to do with your financial education level. Mm -hmm. And we're enslaved by the capital we're willing to compromise our dreams for. And I was like, oh my God, well, how are people successful? And I started measuring, started looking. And, and I've always had a very nuts and bolts type of measurement process, whether, you know, it didn't work so well in dating. Okay. But in business, it worked fucking fantastic. And, uh, <laughs> important um, caveat there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I started looking and I realized that every business in every industry that people were successful in all of my friends, parents who had different kinds of companies all followed very similar formulas. There, there were all a simple nuts and bolts, check the box type of system that they used to measure. And everything they were measuring, it, it, the successful ones, all had the same stuff they would always talk about. And I just started taking notes and writing it down. And, and eventually, I stopped listening to the guy with a job in college and went and opened a business. And, you know, at that point, I liked girls. And at that point, I, I still like girls. Uh, I just married one. So just <laughs> <laughs> now it's singular, not plural. But um in this day and age, I probably have to disclose, right? So at that point, I liked girls and I liked booze. And I was like, I'm going to open a promotions company. I'm going to start promoting bars and clubs. Yeah. And I, I figured out real quick, you find out what the customer wants, you go get that thing, you give it to the customer, you start getting a lot of business. You start getting a raving fan culture. And, and, and we built a little company called Empire Entertainment, which I no longer have. My wife would not be into me, you know, having this company anymore, but, uh, it, it, it really was a step where in college, I, I had weekends where I made about 40 grand. I had other weekends where I lost 20 grand. But it was, it was an eye-opener that creating wealth is true freedom and earning money is slavery. So everybody that's listening to this, please go quit your job today. I'm just kidding. Please don't do that. Well, there are some steps in the middle. Yeah, yeah. So I love that, uh, that idea of you know a job being the amount of money you're willing to sacrifice your dream for. What was your dream? So my dream, and, and, and I'm going to kind of preface this, hustle, which is what every guru talks about, right? It's complete, utter bullshit. It's a fucking lie. Absolute fucking lie. Hustle is effect. And while it's a necessary component, it's not what you're looking for. What you're looking for is passion. Like if my wife walks into the bedroom where in lingerie, there's not one part of my body. It's like, oh, I better figure out a way to hustle. Yeah, you, yeah. Nobody thinks that, right? Like you just, you're going, right? And, and, and it's because you're passionate, you're in love, you're excited, right? And so my dream 
And what drove me for a long time was not being a slave to money. When I was seven years old, my hero, which was my dad, decided to you know, go out and find a way to have a financial future filled with success and not just work in the job he was stuck in. And that, that situation, well, to give you the end of the story early, didn't work out so well for him. He didn't know how to bill, he didn't know how to collect, he didn't know how to charge, he was an engineer-minded person, very nuts and bolts like me, and he was a beautiful man. So when he started his business, three months in, my mom loses her job, and my dad didn't know how to bill, collect, or charge people. So the fight happened, the big cast iron frying pan gets thrown at the wall, and uh, I, there was a lot of words, I remember a few of them. Mm. A real man can feed his family. If you can't go collect with your own, don't come home. You're not a real man. I was a charity piece. I got driven up to that house of the guy that owed him a lot of money, not far from where I live now, funny enough. And I watched my dad, all six foot four of them, freaking badass, the guy that caught that end zone football and, you know, the guy that banged the girl on the prom floor. I mean, the badass, right? This guy's a badass, six foot four, broad shoulders, not like me. And uh, he walks up, meets this guy that had to be, I don't know, five foot nine. So my dad could kill him with a napkin. I knew exactly what was going to happen. We're going to collect, we're going to go home. It was fine. Didn't happen. This, my, my dad's shoulders started moving forward. The guy yeah. started talking. He was using all these money references. And, and I, I watched my dad go from demanding to asking to begging. And, and it, was, it was an instance where I'm watching my hero get completely defeated. We got some money that night. Well, not what he was owed. How old were you at the time? Seven. Wow. And uh, we drove to the grocery store. I got to ride with a box of ramen noodles on my lap. We went home. And my dad decided to give up all of his financial dreams and stay my dad. He, he took my mom's threat very seriously. And he never had a business, never made more than 35 grand a year in his life. And, and while I grew up poor, I grew up in, in a beautiful home with a lot of love. My mom was a psychology gal. And um, she used to always say, figure out the game, figure out the game. That's how you win. Once you know the game, you can win anything. Hmm. Well, if you take a guy who's suffered with money, and he's watched his heroes suffer with money. And we grew up poor. We knew we were poor. But it didn't matter. There was tons of love. And you tell him there's always a game you can win. I mastered conditional love. I didn't want to be controlled by money. I didn't want it to be my God. So I became controlled by money. I became a corporate fucking dick. Hmm. I was the guy that, like, literally, like, I love Donald Trump's, you're fired. You know, I, I loved it. Like, I was, I, I would go into an industry. I would build companies. And, in fact, I'll show you one thing. It's just kind of fun. And I, I kind of figured we we're going to get into culture today. If a lion doesn't tell his story, the hunter will, right? So I had a hard money lending company. And I called a friend when I didn't have money to foreclose on a bunch of homes. And he says, why is the devil calling me? It wasn't a friend at that time. He didn't know me. And uh, I was like, the devil? He was like, oh, yeah, dude. I hear you're like, I mean, you come in like my business is half of what it used to be because you came in. And with your formula-driven system processes, you, you, you basically took a ton of my business. And I was like, wow, you know, I mean, I'm Preston, let's meet. I want to do a deal. Maybe we can collaborate. And he put up the money. We, we, I, I bought the foreclosures at auction, which I didn't have the money to pay off because we were doing, you know, bank debt on all the money we loaned out, right? And uh, we made a ton of money. Well, we, we had lunch a few weeks later and he commissioned this for me. Let's see if I can lift this back. Like, ah. He said, everyone in the world says you're the devil. So he made me Darth Vader out of nuts. These are actual nuts and bolts and car parts. <laughs> Weighs about hundred pounds there. And, uh, and it was an eye opener for me. I was like, man, I got to figure out like why I come across this way. Cause I was a love bug. I was just operating out of fear. Well, I got a great gift and I figured it out. 2019, my dad, my hero sat down in his favorite chair, went to sleep, didn't wake up. Mm. It was a big moment because while it was the worst day of my life, it was also the best. He, uh, he taught me the most important lesson. There wasn't a game. There was nothing to solve. There was nothing I could do. It was the first time I'd lost love. And it really shifted control from the meaning of life to love is the meaning of life. Hmm. And, and what was interesting is since 2019, I mean, I think my net worth has probably 10 x So I spent, I don't know, 10, 15 years hustling, right? And I became a millionaire. I became a decamillionaire. I mean, I was, I was wealthy. I had a lot of equity, good amount of cash. And now I have companies that are worth $150 million. Like, so it's, it's completely shifted as I've shifted, as I've learned about culture, as I've learned about people, as I've learned about 
how to interact. And while resources are beautiful, it's not everything. Mm. What you really got to look for is like heart to heart. I mean, authenticity, kindness. Yeah, man. I'm, thank you for sharing that. I, I, obviously, that's a very vulnerable uh, moment in your life and a huge perspective shift is what it sounds like. Like the guiding yeah. principle of your life was altered in that moment from winning, just taking power, trying to never be in a position of no power to love, which is discharging power. It is empowering others, right? How does that connect to business? Here's a simple way of looking at things, okay? Money's energy. Money's energy and it's stored energy that somebody gives you for doing a great job. Sales, what everybody always talks about, oh, sales are everything. Bullshit, sales are solutions. People are motivated by one of two things, problems, getting out of pain, okay? Or increasing pleasure. That's it. That, yeah. That's what, that, those are the two motivations. So you creating a sale that makes their life better and honors pleasure or gets them out of pain, removing a problem, which also makes their life better, you're going to hit them. Sales equals solutions. Hmm. So where, where, where it hit me is the only thing I ever have to take, because in business, you, you, you very much become a taker when you buy into the corporate idea of what business is. The only thing I actually have to take is responsibility. Hmm. And that, that shit you got to take, like you take responsibility, like you take someone's fucking wallet, you grab that shit and it's yours. Right. But once you take responsibility, now you have the ability to respond. Then you become a master of this thing called cause and effect. And when you can create a predictive analysis or a formula driven system for managing effects because of the causes you put in, you're, you're going to change lives. You're going to solve problems at a faster rate. Like you're going to create, you know, new solutions, new companies, new charities, whatever you want. And, and, you know, say the law of attraction, right? Like, so I'm going to go woo woo on you for a second. Can I do that? Yeah, sure. All these gurus out there, they talk, oh, you got to get in state. You got to get in state. And if you've ever been to a seminar and you're jumping and you're rah-rah and they do a little meditation exercise and they put you in state, you get to experience being, right? Well, you know what happens if you figure out the state you like and you just stay there? If you get in state, you experience being. If you be in state, you get to experience getting. It's called the law of attraction. Everything fucking comes to you. You don't have to go chase it. So you, you're saying that's a good thing, right? Oh, that, hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't have to go and take all the time. The paradigm shift of, hey, you know what? Every entrepreneur out there has a defining story. They have a wound that they need to turn into a scar. There's a journey just like mine's. Once they heal that wound and they turn it into a scar, and they've met all their needs. They've got all the money they want. They've got the love coming in, the family. They've got their fitness, their health, their wellness. You know, they've got their faith, their beliefs, their sense of security, well-being, all that. They don't have to go chase anymore. It, 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 they become gravitational. Like my social media in the last year exploded. And I didn't do anything other than let a guy stand there with a camera while I was talking to people. Hmm. It, nothing changed. That brought new opportunities. My business has exploded. That brought me a guy that said, hey, I would like to walk around and film you. I was like, okay, but like everybody's talking about, you know, I want to find a way to become successful. You know, stop looking everywhere and just pay attention. Spend a little bit of the attention that you have on exactly what opportunities are in front of you right now. You're missing five or six. Yeah. I love what you're talking about, man. I mean, in the last year, the probably the most consistent conversation I've had with teams and organizations is what we call energy management. Everyone's trying to manage time. Everyone's trying to manage resources. I'm like, man, you got to figure out how to manage energy because the difference between you on a great day and a bad day was your energy. The difference between me as a great husband one day and a shit husband the next day was how I was feeling that day. It wasn't the tools. They don't just go away. The skills didn't just come in and go away. It was what state I was in, right? And prioritizing that state. So I want to go back to what you said. How would you encourage someone to discover for themselves the state that they would want to be in most often? And then how do they go about actually cultivating that? Most of us are in survival nine times yeah. out of 10, right? In a survival state, reactive, defensive, anxious, worried. How do we actually lean into and cultivate the state we want to be in more often? I think the first thing you got to do is just identify it. I mean, look, if, if you take somebody through, and, and, and this is, yeah, I'll, I'll give you the premise of, of, so I opened a coaching company and a travel agency during COVID, right? So I was the guy that opened a travel agency during COVID. It became radically successful. I got 
actually sued by this very famous guru who I wanted to mention his name, but a lot of people that know me already know who it is. Uh, and uh, because I guess he felt threatened that I was gonna come after his travel agency, which we had no intention of, right? And uh, we, we fucking blew up. Like it, it became a high net worth millionaires and billionaires travel agency. Mm-hmm. And it was all around one little thing that I'd figured out. And, and so to answer your question, entrepreneurs have to get centered and they have to figure out what do I really want, which can only be answered after you figure out who am I? <laughs> What's my purpose? What's my mission? What's my why? What's my defining story? Look, if facts tell you something, stories sell you something. And we tell stories to ourselves all the time. All the time, yeah. So we have to figure out what's your defining story. And when you find out your defining story, you can't have a story without a problem you solve, right? Like every story everywhere, sorry, I'm gonna fuck up every movie ever, okay? There's a hero. Hero has a problem. Hero meets a guide. Guide guides hero. Hero yep. succeeds or fails. This is every movie you're ever gonna watch that will be a box office success. Yeah, it's the hero's journey, no right? Yeah, yeah. And so we tell ourselves those stories every time. When you have an entrepreneur, you have to sit down and you have to measure the emotion in the moment. And you have to say, okay, what's affecting me? It's one of four things. Faith, energy coming in, belief in yourself, not religion, belief, energy coming in, family, energy expressed, your love connection with other people. I mean, we're social animals. We need people. Like It's a need. Okay, it's like food, water, air, love, right? Fitness, your health, and finance. And, mm-hmm. and if you go like this, brother, if you hold up four fingers and say you want to have a ton of finance success, but you're also going through a divorce, go ahead and tie a 100-pound weight here and try to lift it. They may not be the same thing, but they're tethered to one another. Yeah. And every entrepreneur, when they get their emotions out of the way, their energy and motion out of the way, and they sit down and they take a moment of stillness and they figure out, who am I really? What do I really want? What's my mission? None of us are going to make it out of this shit alive. We should all probably have a lot of fun while we're here doing the shit that we believe in. And the word believe has roots. Be love. That's where belief comes from. And when you think about that, who are you? You're the sum total of all of your beliefs added up. So when you can remove negative emotions, find out where they're coming from, are they rooted in faith, family, fitness, finance? You can solve for it. Yeah. And you can immediately pivot your life and you can start living on purpose. You can say, hey, would I choose to be angry? No. Would I choose to be depressed? No. Okay, why am I choosing it? Which one of the cores is it in? Okay, well, that's distracting. Okay, so if I go and deal with that issue over there, then I can start finding the other issues over here. I can get into heart and no longer can you take someone's energy when they're the master of themselves. Yeah. Well, I like how you're, you're drawing the interconnectedness of those four things that as much as we'd like to separate them, we don't really work that way as individuals. Our bodies affect our emotions. Our mind affects our life. Our relationships affect our peace. Like they're all interconnected. Right. And so we have to take them all into account. Um, I've been playing with this idea and I wonder if you would agree. It sounds like you would, but this idea of growing through subtraction that most of us think about growth in terms of addition, I've got to add something to myself. I need to become something more. Typically I've found that the most profound growth comes through subtraction, meaning like I take away that thought or I take away that, that negative energy or whatever, and who I am emerges, right? Uh, Byron Katie talks about this and her, the, the work where she identifies what's the thought that's causing you suffering. And it all leads up to the question, who would you be without that thought? Like literally who would show up in the world if that thought never crossed your mind that the world was against you or you're not enough. Usually something better emerges without adding anything. You just took away something, right? Do you see it similarly or, or more nuanced than that? You know, I, 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 I do. Uh, and I believe language is so powerful. I mean, if you look at the way that language was formed and where it came from, incision is to cut in. Decision is to cut off. Every time you make a decision, you are subtracting something that wasn't serving you to honor something that was. Yeah, absolutely. God, that's so good. And at the, at the belief level, though, I think you're also partnering with this belief that our, what already exists is awesome. You know, it may need to be improved upon. It may need to be matured or nurtured, but we're not needing to take something outside and add it to within. 
We need to remove, you know, Michelangelo was famously quoted as saying, how do you do these beautiful marble statues and, and sculptures? And he said, I see the angel, you know, I see the angel inside the stone and I remove everything that's not that, right? Mm -hmm. And that's just a beautiful way of thinking about it. Like, I see the angel, I see the good or the potential inside of Preston, and we just remove, we remove everything that's not that. It's a simple, it's more of a revealing act than it is a, a, a an additional act. Does that make sense? I want to, I want to, I want to give you a teaching that uh, one of my favorite speakers on earth gave, and I got to give him credit, it's Sadhguru. If you haven't heard him, the guy's phenomenal. Yes, yes. Okay. And, and he started talking about all of the intelligences in the human body. He was like, we don't, we don't think about processing food. We don't think about the apple that we then eat. And it literally becomes a protein in our body, a piece of our body, or fuel and energy, or it becomes waste. There's literally a flow to this apple, but that apple can become a part of you. You don't decide on that. That's not your intelligence you're choosing here, but your body already knows what to do. And he, he rooted it down. He says, there's 86,000 intelligences that break down into 16 categories that you can follow up with that are four groups of the human experience like like four categories and he says the greatest category to explain the human mind okay is one true self soul level intelligence who you really are okay and and you can see it in kids you can see it like i've got a a four-year-old little girl and i've got like a uh, six-year-old little boy and i mean outside the six-year-old i'm starting to see society's conditioning the four-year-old ain't got it still free like from, yeah oh my gosh she's just all her she's all her and she's hilarious and um it's interesting because you can see that soul level intelligence it's an unlimited foundation well on top of that sits a structure as a home builder it's one of my companies i look at like foundation okay then let's go to the frame the structure is memory hmm. oh wow and that's a big one too because it's not just every memory you have that's part of your conditioning it's also you may not remember your great 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 grandmother but her nose is sitting on your face right now. So your body has that memory. Like not only is it every single thing that's ever caused meaning in your actual physical life, but your body has memory. I mean, your past has memory. That's crazy. You have like genetic memory. that, that like we Cellular don't think memory. Of. Yeah, exactly. Muscle memory, all these different memories. It's the framework that sits on top. On top of that, which is the next one, smaller identity. And everybody loves identity, but it's also a fucking prison. You know who you are? It's who you're stuck being. And the yogic culture, and this is one of the things I love. It. I, I mean, literally, he said this, and I started following him, and I started looking at what else he teaches because it was just phenomenal stuff. He said, the yogic culture does not believe in educating people that have limited identity. In other words, their identity is a prison. And on top of identity is intellect. So identity is like the sheetrock. Now you can't walk in and out of the walls. But if you have unlimited identity, you can put as many doorways in those walls as you want. And you can add rooms. You can walk a mile in another person's shoes, as yeah. mom used to say. But intellect, which sits on top of identity, is the only real intelligence we value in Western culture. And it's sharp. But the problem with it being sharp is it cuts like a knife. Like you literally, you want to understand a frog? Dissect it. Want to understand your friends? Talk shit about them. It's, that's intellect. And so these four layers of mind and memory when you start peeling back the layers and you get into that soul level, who the fuck am I really? That's when your wounds turn into scars. That's when you turn into a true go-giver. That's when your business goes from, oh, it's a hustle, it's a struggle, to what the fuck, it just took off. I'm, I'm free. Do you think, talk to me about this. Do you think when we ask that question, who, who am I? You know, we feel that intuition. I don't know who I am, who am I? Do we get stuck at that identity level and not all the way down the basement to the the deeper soul level that's could have multi-expressions and those kinds of things. So, so let's just play a quick game real quick. Let's, let's play a quick game just for fun. And, and I hope all your listeners do this too, but I'm going to play with you. Right. Yeah. So I just want you to feel two statements. Say, who am I? Who am I? And say it in your most powerful voice. Who am I? Now say who I am. Who I am. Now you're getting to decide as soon as language starts reversing, you're making decisions less using subtraction becomes much more powerful. Yeah. Like everybody talks about, I need to build a big, efficient business. No, you don't. Nobody ever has. 
It's never fucking happened. Everybody builds big, inefficient businesses. And then you know what they do? Michelangelo. They refine the shit out of it and they cut shit off that's inefficient. You make a big, inefficient business smaller and now it's an efficient, smaller business with as much production as a big, inefficient business. Nobody builds a big, efficient business. Mm. Nobody finds themselves by asking, who am I? They find themselves by being a fucking leader and saying who I am and deciding. Wow. Now, I, that, that helps, man, because I, I literally am in that season. You know, I'm 37 and... Uh... A therapist once told me, man, you waited 35 years to ask this question. You were always responding to what everybody else wanted you to do and that kind of thing. So I find myself asking that question and sometimes it's paralyzing because it's like you're looking for something. Re reacting is what you're, it's like, uh, but I like that. And he, he, he did the same thing. He flipped it on my head. He said, why don't you answer the question? Who do you want to be? Mm -hmm. Stop asking, who am I? Start asking the question, who do you want to be? And again, there was a much more even forward momentum to that. There was immediate answers coming to my head that was not there when I would go, who am I? Am I this? Am I that? Am I this? You know? Uh, so I really like that. That's, that's well said. Language my, is powerful. My question, because I want to make sure we get this. Um, you, you've already shared with us some powerful frameworks on, on self and leading self and how I can get in the right state, understand who I am, live from that place of love. I'm sure you have a similar framework for building cultures, empowering cultures, loving cultures, cultures that work. Talk me through that. Culture. Oh, gosh, culture. Um, let me see. I'm going to give you culture, hopefully in a way that I don't think you'll ever heard before. And I'll actually have my assistant email you these documents. And I don't know if there's a way to attach it, but you can literally give them away to everybody that you you serve. Okay? Heck yeah. We'll try to put in the this, show notes if we can. Yeah. So everyone's looking at culture and they're like, they hear this word like regurgitated by, frankly, big Wall Street companies who have no fucking culture because they've all sold their souls to investors that buy stock and 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 they, they don't really have real cultures in most cases. I don't want to put all of them under that, but most of them don't. So just to kind of give you a quick visual, I know some folks are going to listen. Culture has foundations. Yeah. Okay. What are the first four letters in culture? What does that spell? Cult. What is a cult? A group of like-minded people drinking the same Kool-Aid. A group identity. So yeah. in the same way that your identity can be a prison, let's follow this. Mom used to say, think outside the box, right? Presupposition there is if you think inside of the box, you're not as smart as a guy that thinks outside the box, right? What if there was another level? What if there was building boxes for other people to think within? Which is all an entrepreneur is. An entrepreneur builds boxes. And to build an identity, you have to A, know who you serve. Your identity as a husband, you know you serve your spouse. Yeah. You know that when your spouse shows up, her needs are X, Y, and Z, and you're going to deliver this way, this way, and this way, because you love that person. Well, a customer is the same way. So a customer, three steps, find out what they want, go get that thing, and give it to them. But to do that, you need to know who the customer is and who your employees are and the archetypes of each to serve them. So the first foundation of culture, the first measurable thing in culture is safety. Why are people tribal? Hmm. Why would people all come together? They want to feel safe. But to be safe in a culture, here's where there's always a paradox. And there's always a paradox when there's truth. You know what you need? Danger. Hmm. I love to compare leaders and companies to spears. If you've ever heard the Bible verse, iron sharpens iron, <laughs> the spear tip and the spear tip. Like I'm, I'm just guessing with your podcast where you work with entrepreneurs, you're not like showing up at McDonald's, ordering a cheeseburger and looking at the guy selling you the cheeseburger being like, dude, do you want to be on? You want some dangerous motherfuckers that have shut down some competing companies that have grown some big shit, right? Yeah. The leader must be dangerous. What does the spear do? The tip of the spear goes first. The spear's motto is no blood, no guts, no glory. And realistically, if you want to be safe, somebody's got to protect you. In a world this dangerous, that leader's job is to create safety for everyone in that fucking culture. Everyone in that organization, in that community needs to know, hey, my job's safe. I've got all of these perks and benefits and this, that, and the other, because that guy or that gal went out and secured it. 
Okay, mm. this is ours. So safety counterbalances with danger. So that's one. Two, quality. If you're a business, say you're a home building company, like that's my largest company, so I'm going to use it. Say there's one company that's like, we're going to build a bunch of shit box houses, upgrades that we have is, I don't know, sheetrock. Not very exciting, you know? Like in my houses now, we're adding a new feature. I just went to Europe. I've never experienced a bidet before. Holy yes. shit. A bidet starts with, I'm offended. And then it goes to, I can sit a while. This is good. <laughs> yeah. And I've got marketing campaigns for bidets, man. Have an amazing bidet on purpose. You know, we don't service dirty assholes. Come try our bidet. You know, like <laughs> li literally like fun shit to market it. Right. And, but you know what people are going to see when they walk in and that freaking toilet seat opens up and like greets them. They're going to be like, that's higher quality than the guy who's putting the fucking $60 toilet. Right. Does it change the quality of the walls? No, that's all good. Like the code inspectors make sure that's good. But when they see the amenities, when they see the final touches, when they see the details, they care. So are you building quality or are you building in and you're trying to race to the bottom and be the cheapest? That is always the dumbest idea, by the way. If any of your listeners are trying to race to the bottom and be the lowest price, stop now. You're going to fail at business. Go get a fucking job or find another way. And we'll teach you another way. But like, that's the wrong approach. So quality. Next, mission, vision, values. Everyone wants to know it. Where are we going? And, and if you need mission, vision, values, here's an easy one. Here's four core values you can use in every company. And they'll work. Have productivity. You can't measure what's not moving. Have transparency. I mean, Ray Dalio, self-made billionaire, talks about radicalized transparency. I mean, there's a reason he's a self-made billionaire. The secretary right. knows what the CEO knows. There's weighted credibility. CEO might have a little more credibility on certain things than the secretary, but if they're asking a question about answering phones, guess who knows more? The secretary. Transparency, integrity, do the right thing. And then, you know what I learned in COVID? <laughs> you got to add kindness. We added, we added kindness during COVID because when people are stressed, they turn into assholes. Yes. And my mother used to say, assholes always pay more. I never want to be an asshole. I, I want to make sure that I'm living with those four core values. Now, kindness Love can be tough, but you really have to come from a position of wanting to help that person. So mission, vision, values. What is the problem you solve? Who is the customer, customer you serve? What is your, you know, four core values of your company that you're going to all operate within that you have an agreed upon focus with, right? Next one, production. This is item number four. Production is critical. If you don't decide, hey, you know what? We're going to build 100 homes and serve 100 people a year, or you know what, we're going to build 10 homes, but they're literally going to be the 10 best homes on the planet, and we're going to do everything custom, and whatever it is, everybody just needs to know about, because it's going to drip down from leader to employee to customer eventually, and if anybody in that chain is confused, you're, you're disrupting flow. Last but not least, tribal triggers. Every tribe has triggers. Every tribe has triggers, and I want to say something controversial right now, but and so some of your folks are going to agree with it. Some of your folks are going to disagree with it, but it's actually just fucking true. Have you heard all the talk in the news media in the last three or four years around race? Yeah. Okay. It's all bullshit. It's literally all bullshit. And I can prove it. Okay. There are not two human races. The last time there fucking was, was 40,000 years ago. Homo sapiens sapien emerged. Neanderthal man was the dominant race of human beings on the planet. That's the last time there were two different races. If you think skin color changes your race, then you need to understand the words genealogy and alleles. Alleles pass on from mother and father to child. And if there's a lot of sun in your area, the genealogy measuring the environment is going to say, hey, you know what? We should probably protect this person from sun in the next generation. Your skin's going to get darker. It's not a race thing. It's called fucking science. There's literally two races that have existed in the human species, Neanderthal man, Homo sapiens sapiens. Do you know how we beat them when they were bigger, stronger, faster, meaner, and everything else? Smarter? They were smarter. Huh. We weren't. They've been around a while. We were scrawnier. We were six ways from Sunday. Fuck, they could have killed us with an app. And you know how we won? It wasn't by blame. Blame is an acronym. Being lazy and making excuses. It's an acronym. It wasn't by hatred. It wasn't by judgment. We had this thing at our campsite called music. We had loops, we had flutes, we had string instruments. Neanderthal man came to our campsite. Neanderthal man sat down. They fell in love with our culture. There was a tribal trigger that inspired them. 
Wow. And the word inspired means in spirit. They made it our women and men and literally absorbed into our gene pool. There's only one fucking race. And with a tribal trigger called music, which is literally the sound, the harmonic rhythm of what love is, two races became one and we merged. So even if there was a race divide that you could somehow scientifically argue, and there's not, you don't solve it with any negative, you solve it with love. And so when you take these five foundations and you decide by cutting off anything else, what they're gonna be, you will have a measurable culture where you can deliver love in business. And I'm happy to go into love in business and how it works because that's one that fucks people up all the time. If you want. Yeah, yeah, I wanna get to that in just a second. I wanna, I wanna ask for an example of a tribal trigger uh, that you've seen in one of your companies. What's an example of a tribal trigger? Okay. Hey, Anna, can you do me a favor? Run out there and crank the fucking music up. This is my office. We're in an office building. Run out there and crank the fucking music up all the way up and just do it for three seconds or something. Leave the door open. So this is great. We put a sound system in our office. We have like employee days. We have all sorts of things where we make sure that the human beings here are bonding, okay? You know, adults bond when we fight, right? What do kids do? You have kids? Yeah, I've got three. You take them to the park and they're friends with every other kid. Yep. They don't care if you look different or act different, they're excited. They're like, I wanna fucking know you. Kids bond because they play. Yeah. We add play to our culture because there's a kid inside of every human, no matter how damaged they are. And when you bring music and movement and rhythm, I've got a biocharger, which is health. I've got a chef at the fucking office. He just made me a coffee. Technically, it's a perk. I mean, it's an oat milk latte because I'm a diva. And he goes out. So this paid for itself, by the way, right? Like, so, so we're spending a lot of money on a chef, right? I, I flew Emirates Airlines one time. They had, like, great service. I was like, I want that shit at my office. So now, anytime you buy one of my houses, they come and they chop the top off with a saber of, like, champagne it explodes everywhere somebody comes in and mops it up and they pour you champagne i mean it's an experience right yeah. and and we have coffee everybody's caffeinated he's always he's got a job make sure there's always a drink on everyone's desk you know what happened everybody became hydrated you know what happens when people are hydrated they're more productive we had a chef within two months we could see the production going up north of 10 percent wow across all companies <laughs> So I don't know if you can hear this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's my office. Like, we have an 18,000 square foot building, and she's pumping that shit for 18,000 square feet. All right, tell her she can turn it down. Yeah, good, good. Great job. So not just any sound system. That is a legit quality sound throughout the entire office. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, we, we have, I bought a two-story shopping center. We technically rent out the, the downstairs. The tenants downstairs sometimes will come up after five and have margaritas. Like, because like, it's just a party. Like people going down the hall to close the title company because we can adjust the volumes at, at different parts. They're like, hey, uh, you know, is there a club down there? They're like, no, 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 that's a home building company. They're like, they built our home? Are you crazy? Like, okay. Wow. And they come over and they see people smiling and laughing and having fun. Like most people go to work. They spend eight hours, 10 hours a day there. They go home, they see their family for three or four. What if you actually liked the fucking people you worked with? What if you had fun there? What if it wasn't some dickhead boss trying to metric productivity out of you? What if there was a problem you liked solving and you got to do it with people you fucking loved? Yeah, come on. It's hard to do, and I don't know why. And so I'm curious if you know why, because I've thought about this often. I got into business because I said I wanted to build things I love with people I love. I wanted to go do that together. And then I looked up and was like, we're not having as much fun as I thought we'd have. I want to not just win. I want to have more fun than everybody in the process of winning. What gets in the way of that? Um, most of the time we hire ourselves. That, that's one of the big ones. We hire ourselves. Okay. We, we, we know what kind of badass we are and we don't understand the different personality types. Like there is a lot of psychology of business. And so we go out and we literally hire ourselves as our replacement. And you know what happens when an entrepreneur hires another entrepreneur? One Not eats yet. the other. <laughs> yeah. Or you have the same weaknesses. Yeah. And I'm like, look, there are people out there, about 97% of them, that don't want to be entrepreneurs. 
They just want to have a safe, secure position, but they want to feel good as if they have a say, as if they're in the mix. And, and, and if you ever study uh, DISC, and, and, and if you haven't studied it, follow my friend uh, Mateen Tarani. He's in uh, Florida. He's in Miami, Florida. The guy is a master at teaching DISC. And, and he taught me DISC. I started implementing it, looking at who's a C personality, very conscientious, who's an I, an influencer, who's an S, a steady, who's a D, a delegator, a dictator, an entrepreneur like me. And if you don't put all of the right personalities in their roles, we go against human nature. We hear all the bullshit. Like, how many times have you heard the customer's always right? All the time. It's the biggest fucking lie. The customer is not right, or you'd be doing it for free. You'd be honoring a warranty for 500 years, and you'd probably have to give them a back rub when you were done doing it for free. Like, you'd be fucked. You know what the customer is? He's more right than your competitor's customer. Just a little bit more right than your competitor's customer. He's not more right than your employee. If you trust your customer more than you trust your employee, you need to fire that employee and hire the customer. Company always first. Company is always right. Every one of my people here eats because this company is successful. Hmm. And here's the cool thing, because the company's always right, and they all know that my company makes double to triple on margins what all my competitors make. So guess what their salaries are? Like, I think the lowest salary I pay, the lowest salary I pay, the girl answering the phone, I'm in El Paso, Texas, we're not a high wage market. The girl answering the phone gets 30 grand a year and up to, I think a thousand or 1500 bonuses. She's making a teacher's salary answering fucking phones. Wow. In El Paso, Texas, where we have teachers at like the private schools making 30 grand, my secretary's making 45. I get to pay in some cases, one and a half times the market. And my people are loyal and they're happy because they give a shit about the company's success. Every single person at my company sees the financials hmm. because the financials metric directly to their bonuses. Every person gets a bonus. If I start a new company, I pick someone and I say, hey, you're going to get a better deal than me. They say, what do you mean? I said, I'm the owner. You're going to follow my lead. You're going to follow my guidance. I'm going to take the fucking risk. You're going to be the leader of the company. I'm going to pay you 20% of the net draws. If that company's making 10 million a year and drawing that out, they're getting 2 million a year with no fucking risk. Every employee is getting 1,000 to 1,500 bonus on top of their above market pay because they believe the company's first, the staff is second, and the customer's third. But my customer being third, he just has to be a little bit above my competitor's customer. Hmm. And people mess that up. They don't understand the different personality types. They don't understand the priorities. They listen to all the gurus out there. And most of the gurus are about growing themselves not growing the people that follow them. Let me tell you this, it's the most important thing I'm gonna say on this podcast. Complexity is seductive, not productive. Productivity gets you paid. Seductivity, well, it gets you fucked. Hmm. Most gurus teach a very complicated message. There's truth in it, people resonate to truth, but they make it complicated for you to figure out point A to point B, how do I get there? And when they do that, most people can't handle the complexity. They don't have that engineering brain. Most entrepreneurs are generally salespeople. They're not engineers in here, okay? I'm, I'm not really a salesperson. I had to learn that shit. I'm an introvert. I had to step out and be like, okay, who do I fucking want to be? Who I am? And then I decided I was going to go learn how to sell. Like, you ever seen those natural salespeople? They can sell anything, but if you ask them to organize something, they can't do shit. Like, they're screwed. I'm a natural organizer. I decided to be a salesman. I have both talents now. And you know what's crazy? Is I like selling more than I like organizing now. But I'm still fucking organized in all the ways that matter. And so you want, you want to kind of figure out who do you want to be? What is your culture? Who do you need? Like, if you have these skills, get this person with these skills, figure out a personality metric, call the team, get him on your show. I mean, he would be a huge value add for you. If, if, if you like that disc stuff, he can do an hour presentation on it literally will change your, your viewers' lives. Hopefully this show is going to do that as well. Yeah, heck yeah. I would love it. Let's get in contact with them. I'm, I'm all about the personality stuff, man. We, we love it in, in our line of work. And DISC is one I know only a little bit about. So that actually would be great to get a download from someone like him. It's by far my favorite. My, my background is psychology, economics, and history. And I'll tell you, I've never seen anything that can metric behaviors better than DISC. Wow. Never. Wow. 
Heck yeah, let's do it. Uh, I, before I let you go, I know we're already tight on time here. I want to just at least get, a, 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 we talked about saying, what does love look like? And you said, that's so critical. You mentioned it. Maybe you just, this is what it was, putting the company first, then the people, then the customer. But anything else you would say to that? You know what? Do we got about 10 minutes? Go a yes. little long and I'll, I'll give it to you? Yeah. Okay. Love is four levels, okay? Or at least that's what I was taught. And I really think it's probably more three, but I'm going to actually show you the four, okay? This is the four that I was taught. And I've, I've got to give credit because I was taught this by Tony Robbins, okay? There is dependent love. It's a need, okay? If children do not receive love, they will die. It's called failure to thrive. Two, there is conditional love, okay? Conditional love is it's transactional. It's what my mother taught me. Find out the game. Once you know the game, you win, right? It's unconditional love. And that's where I think it ends. Uh, Tony teaches another one called divine love, which is loving even those that, that hate you, right? Like Christ on the cross. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think that's unconditional love because what is unconditional by nature? It means you love beyond your conditions. Did you know love can be measured? Bob Marley said it best. You love someone as much as you're willing to suffer for them. You have three children. Which one would you suffer the most for? Probably all of them, right? I don't believe in killing and I don't believe in dying. But if somebody came into my house, hurt my kids, I would break all of my beliefs to protect my kids. I love them beyond conditions. But the same way that I showed you that picture where it's a staircase, one sits on the foundation of another. So everybody's talking about, oh, I want unconditional love. I want unconditional love in my marriage. Well, when you got married, were there vows? Were those conditions? Oh, yeah. So what you're saying is you want conditional love and then you want people to love beyond your conditions, which means you want forgiveness when you break the fucking conditions that you married into, right? Ooh, that one's kind of hard for a lot of people to swallow. So let me explain the reason that conditional love is demonized and why it shouldn't be. Like everybody calls conditional love, they're like, oh, it's horse trading. Oh, it's prostitution. Oh, it's, and I'm like, shut the fuck up. You're wrong. It's not horse trading. It's not prostitution. It's called a transaction. The roots of the word transaction is transfer of action. We're having a conversation right now. Uh, I'm transferring action. You're transferring action. We're transferring action to one another, which makes that the foundation of only all human society ever if we're social beings. Right. So conditional love would be like, hey, dude, I want to have you on my podcast. Preston, you better show up on time. You have a condition. If I don't meet your condition, maybe you still like me, but you're probably not going to have me back. Okay. Right. So it, th th there's just an agreement yeah, it's a basic agreement is what it sounds like of fair equity in exchange. Right. And so sometimes we'll get angry when people don't meet our agreements. We had an expectation. They didn't meet our agreement. We get angry, right? That's fair. But what if we didn't communicate the expectation? What if somebody's driving in traffic and they cut you off? I mean, you didn't communicate an expectation. Why are you getting pissed off? They don't even know what you're going through. You don't know what they're going through. Maybe just calm the fuck down and relax because there's a difference between an expectation and a standard. An expectation is if I project something on you and hold you to it, but you don't know. Mm. And a standard is if you and I shake hands, agree, and we decide, okay, so conditional love when everybody has a standard that is well communicated and clarified is beautiful. And on that foundation sits unconditional love. But let me give you a paradox that really makes love real. Okay, and this is the shit that's like, wow, stuff. This is where it goes into the woo-woo. It kind of starts in the faith. What is a transaction? If I transfer action, I'm sending it to you. I'm starting here and I'm going to you, right? That's a line. A line has a beginning and a line has an end. So here's where it's really interesting on unconditional love. What happens if you reciprocate? I didn't expect a reciprocation. That's the only difference between conditional and unconditional. I did not expect any reciprocation. I just unconditionally gave something to you to say, Drew, you're freaking awesome. I want to serve you. I want to add value. You turn around and reciprocate. You know what you did? You turned a line with the beginning and an end into a circle. A circle has no beginning. A circle has no ending. And so the paradox of love is if I go out and do unconditional things for 10 people and two reciprocate, which ones make me feel the best? The ones that reciprocated, not even in kind. If they reciprocated yeah. with a smile, guess who I want to serve next time? The ones where it's in a relationship. So everyone's looking for an exchange. Being a giver, great. Being a taker, great. Being a matcher on some level. Even if somebody's generous to you, give them a smile. Give them a hug. Give them something. Match them in some way. That's really what's healthy. And anywhere where there's a paradox, there's truth, brother. I mean, like, 
can God create a rock so big he couldn't lift it? That's a tough one. I've not heard that one before. <laughs> the answer is yes, and the answer is no. He right. can because he's God, and he can't because he's God, and that's why it's true. And it's the same with love. We're all looking for an exchange, even if we don't want to be looking for an exchange. We're all looking for a give and a take. We're looking for a relationship that we can sail together. Man, that's so well said. I mean, all the way down to the safety that provides, if you do build first, some idea of an agreed upon standard. It creates safety mm -hmm. that that kind of love can grow on, right? Oh, that, yeah. that creates trust as people operate in good faith. And then you find yourself giving without expecting anything back. And it's a pleasant surprise when they do. But like you said, it does create a synergy that attracts you. You're like, well, I want to keep giving that kind of thing to that person or that kind of person, you know? Uh, man, that's well said, man. Thank you for taking the extra time for us. Oh, dude, thank you for having me, man. And if, uh, you know, you or anybody else wants more of this, please follow me on my social medias. And I mean, I give all this shit away for free. I, I, I want the world to lift. I think entrepreneurs are so necessary right now. So if any of this adds value to anyone, hey, message me. I want to hear it. And if, if, if you have feedback, message me back. Yeah. So is, is there anything besides social media that we should point them to? Is there... Uh, resources or website or anything you'd want them to check out or social media the best? You know, social media, my, my goal is to just get this information out there. I'd love for them to all follow me. It's at the Preston Brown. I mean, some folks want to do like coaching and travel and things like that. And, and that's fine too. I mean, they can, they can come look at that. I honestly don't initially recommend that somebody jumps into my travel agency. It's not the cheapest. It's not the most affordable. Like, like, there's so many great coaches out there where you're not going to go spend six figures a year. And I've got enough demand that I'm at that point. And so most of my clients are high level CEOs. Like, and, and my goal with this is not to go grab more of that. I've, I've got a beautiful right. community. My goal with this is I want everybody to be able to get there. I want everybody to realize, and, and, and maybe I can close on this with the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. I mean, how do you grow a flower? Well, you take a seed and you shove it in a pile of shit. You need the shit. I had the shit for 10 or 15 years before my dad gave me that gift and passed and taught me that love was the meaning of life. That seed and that shit with a little water added to just a little, a few weeks later when that thing is blossoming, people lean down six inches above shit to sniff a flower. Wow. If we can help people get there through my social media, through your coaching, through your podcast, that's what I want because there's fucking enough out there forever. Man, so well said. And I, I just want to say, this is, it's not that it was a surprise, but it's been beautiful. Your social media, you're obviously very out, outspoken and uh, brash and that kind of thing. And it's not that it doesn't come across, but it came across even clearer in this interview of, uh, man, a, a sweet man you are and a deep, thoughtful person. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to have met that part of you as well. Not just the wisdom, not just the catchy one-line sayings, but you can tell you care deeply about your people and about uh, humans in general. So Preston, man, it's been an honor. Thank you for being on here today. I'm honored, brother. I appreciate you. You have an amazing day on purpose. Thank you, sir. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.